welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, June 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, NBC reveals the moderators for the first debates. The DNC will hold a lottery at 30 Rock to determine candidate placement in those debates. 538 explains how Mike Gravel could win this whole thing. And a few more lesser-heard voices from Sunday's Iowa event. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Early this morning, NBC revealed the hosts for the first DNC debate, set for June 26th and 27th. The event will happen in Miami and will air live on NBC, MSNBC, and Telemundo, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time each night. NBC News is hosting the debate, and they say it will also stream online for free on all its various platforms, plus Telemundo. As I reported last week, one of the biggest problems facing candidates lately has been how to prepare for these debates, like what's the format, what are the rules, and so on. NBC gave us no information on that, but they did tell us who the hosts will be. Okay, so here they are. There are five in all, and that means there will be 13 people on stage at all times. First up is Lester Holt, who is anchor of both NBC Nightly News and Dateline NBC. Holt will be present for both hours of each debate night, though what that means in terms of question formats and other stuff remains to be seen. My guess is he's the overall host to introduce the show and the moderators, maybe? Next up, Savannah Guthrie, co-anchor of The Today Show and NBC News chief legal analyst, will be a moderator for the first hour of each debate. And along with Guthrie, Chuck Todd will co-moderate that first hour. Todd is NBC News political director and moderator of Meet the Press. So that is your lineup for the first hour. Then in the second hour, Guthrie and Todd will leave and two new co-moderators will come in. First is Rachel Maddow, host of The Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC. And second is Jose Diaz-Balart. He is anchor of both Noticias Telemundo and the Saturday edition of NBC Nightly News. So that's the news on that front. Keep in mind, the first night of that two-night debate is just two weeks from tomorrow. And I'm going to give you one guess what this show will cover the next morning. Here's a short bit of business. Yesterday, The Hill reported that the DNC would hold a lottery to determine where candidates would be located on stage during the debates. That lottery will occur on Friday morning this week, and results will be released immediately afterward. Apparently, this info came from an internal DNC call last week and was leaked to the Hill without much other detail. The DNC and NBC did not respond to requests for comment, but the Hill claims to have three sources confirming the info. So I'm going to infer that if the lottery determines physical position on stage, it's also determining which candidates appear on which night. That is obviously a lot more important to the candidates than where they physically stand. Now, because NBC is hosting that debate, the lottery will be held at NBC headquarters in New York, a.k.a. 30 Rock. According to The Hill, the DNC has invited representatives from each campaign to attend the lottery in person, though it is not clear from that coverage whether those people will be allowed to record the lottery or live stream it or what. It's also not clear what the method will be for that lottery, though I really, really hope that they get one of those giant bingo rotating drums and then put 20 candidate balls in the drum, roll it around, roll it around, roll it around, and then have Tom Perez pull out each candidate ball and place it on a little tiny podium set up to resemble the debate stage. There's 10 podiums and 10 little balls and then 10 more for the second night and 10 little candidate balls on those. 
I also think that that would make great TV. I mean, you're at 30 Rock, you've already got cameras, just do that. But there is no word yet on whether this event will be televised or recorded, although the results should be released right after it happens. Over at 538, Claire Malone apparently lost the office lottery and was given the task of writing an article titled How Mike Gravel Could Win the 2020 Democratic Primary. Now, that site has been running one of these for every major candidate in the race, and the site only recognized Gravel as a major candidate last week. On the other hand, I have considered Gravel a major candidate the whole time, even though I don't think he has a path to win the race. I do think that in terms of active campaigns, he absolutely qualifies as a real candidate, and his message is worth listening to. So, before we get into Malone's article, here's a little background. Gravel is famously anti-war, and he served as a senator from Alaska from 1969 until his retirement in 1981. He is also a veteran of the Korean War. He ran for president in 2008, and in those Democratic primary debates, he spent much of his time at the podium criticizing other candidates about their records related to war. Okay, so earlier this year, Gravel was featured on the Chapo Trap House podcast, and some enterprising young people essentially drafted him to run again. The deal apparently was that they would do the paperwork and run the campaign as long as he would agree to appear in the debates, do some videos, take interviews, and express his policy ideas. While he is currently retired and getting on in years, Gravel is indeed doing that work. Early on, the campaign explicitly said they wanted to get Gravel into the first two debates, then have him drop out immediately after the second debate and donate any remaining campaign funds to whomever Gravel deemed to be most in line with his positions. Looking at the field right now, I'm not 100% sure who that would be, but I'm going to guess that it's Tulsi Gabbard. Currently, Gravel has not qualified for any of the DNC debates, but his campaign recently tweeted that he is actually running to win. Anyway, so 538 has done this series of articles on each candidate, explaining what would have to happen for them to win the primary. And here are the opening lines from Malone's piece. Quote, Many things, most of them unlikely, would have to transpire for former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel to win the Democratic nomination for president. A few possibilities. All the other candidates drop out and no successful write-in campaign is waged. A capricious President Trump orders a catastrophic invasion of another nation, lending massive credibility to Gravel's perennial anti-war stance. He helped put the Pentagon Papers into the public record. The Democratic primary electorate all of a sudden decides that it would prefer an octogenarian candidate to the current septuagenarian frontrunners. Gravel is 89 years of age, meanwhile Bernie Sanders is a youthful 77 years old, and Joe Biden is a spring chicken at 76. End quote. Malone then goes on to discuss the tradition of protest candidates in American politics, and I think that's worth a read for anybody who is concerned with the issue of war. That is Gravel's main thing. There is a link to that in the show notes, as always. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY 
at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And last up today, more from lesser-known candidates in their own words. Yesterday, I featured three clips from candidates you just don't hear much from on this show, or frankly, most shows, using audio from that massive Iowa event on Sunday. I got so much positive feedback about that, I'm just going to plow ahead and throw a few more in here today, then that's it for the Sunday event clips. Again, my intent here is to let you hear from candidates who are polling in the single digits and who generally do not get sound bites on this show. First up is Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City. Now, the media angle on de Blasio is that he is unpopular. He is also the last candidate to enter the race, and he's been in it for less than a month. But at the same time, he's the mayor of an incredibly important city, and he has tremendous name recognition. De Blasio started his speech by introducing his wife, Sherlane McRae, and talking about mental health care. Let's listen to what he said next. Iowans and Americans are working harder than ever. They're working longer hours. A lot of people, two jobs. A lot of folks struggle to make ends meet. Working class people, middle class people. A lot of people feel there's more stress in our lives. And this election is about all of you and it's about all of them. The way people are living today in Iowa and America and what they need. Now, these challenges, these problems that people are facing, I wish I could tell you it happened by accident, but brothers and sisters, this was not an accident. It was a Republican agenda that made it harder and harder for working people to get their fair share and made it easier and easier for the rich to get richer. Our federal government has been on the side of the wealthy and the corporations for many, many years. And it's not been on the side of working people. Don't you think we should put working people first in America? It doesn't have to be this way, but we've seen it with our own eyes from Ronald Reagan all the way to those tax cuts that Donald Trump did that give away to the corporations and the wealthy right before our eyes. We've seen this country go in the wrong direction. Well, when I talk to working people, and not just Democrats, independents and Republicans too, they want change. They want us to invest in working people and their communities. Affordable housing and education, infrastructure, the things that will help people. Well, you know, anytime I talk about it, anytime we talk about investing in people, you know what you hear? There's always those pundits and those critics who say there's not enough money. We can't afford to invest in people. Well, here's what I say to them every time. There's plenty of money in this world, and there's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. And we need to put money back in the hands of working people, and I'm here to tell you it can be done because we've been doing it in New York. I run the biggest, toughest, most diverse city in the world. I have 8.6 million highly opinionated constituents. All of them have an opinion. But one thing we agree on is putting working people first. 
And so we gave pre-K to all our children for free, a universal right. Don't you think you should have that in Iowa? We gave paid sick days to working people so they didn't have to choose between a day's pay and staying healthy and taking care of their family. Don't you think you should have that in Iowa and all over the country? We got sick of waiting on Washington, so guess what we're doing? We are guaranteeing health care for all New Yorkers. Anyone who doesn't have insurance is guaranteed health care. We're doing these things because we need to put working people first in America. We can do it, brothers and sisters. Thank you. Now, I included that last little bit so you can hear how the organizers played people off stage, just like at the Oscars, when their time ran out. And some candidates dealt with that much better than others. Next up, let's listen to John Hickenlooper, former governor of Colorado. His overall pitch was that he has governing experience in a purple state, and that is valuable. Keep in mind, this is the same guy who was booed in California on June 1st for saying, quote, socialism is not the answer, end quote. He has clearly retooled that message here. It is the same core message, but he's delivering it in a different order, and he attributes the socialism critique to someone other than himself. So listen in. Donald Trump is the worst president in the history of America. But defeating him is far from guaranteed. We have to take the right approach. We must be progressive, but also pragmatic. We need a dreamer, but also a doer. We must present a bold vision for the future but we must also acknowledge that the most effective attack the Republicans can level against us is one of socialism. Now that doesn't mean that Democrats should shy away from big progressive goals. Far from it. A pragmatist doesn't say no to big ideas. They figure out how to get them done. I know because it's what we did in Colorado. Today, Colorado has near-universal health care coverage. All 64 counties have reliable broadband service. We've had the number one economy for three consecutive years. We were the first state to compel the oil and gas industry to eliminate methane emissions. And we beat the NRA and became the first purple state to pass universal background checks and magazine limits. When other states were limiting reproductive rights, we provided long-acting, reversible contraception to any woman who wanted it. We cut abortion and unintended pregnancy among young women by two-thirds. I am the only person running who has actually done what everyone else is talking about. So I can tell you, you don't do big things with big government. You do big things by bringing everyone to the table, by making the table bigger. He used the rest of his time for a series of concrete policy proposals, including a public option for healthcare, rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, investing in R&D to address climate change, expanding union apprenticeships, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He also managed to finish his speech in five minutes, unlike virtually every other candidate, so he avoided that playoff music. 
And last today, let's hear from Governor Jay Inslee of Washington. He started by criticizing President Trump and then launched into a discussion of how his progressive policies as governor might apply nationally. Listen in. Any educators in the room? Is there any educators? We got a few educators in the room. Well, I'm a, I'm a son of a biology teacher, and so I think a lot about educators. I think one of the best things we can do is have a quality teacher in every classroom. And that's why I'm proud to tell you I'm a governor who got the biggest pay increases for educators in the United States. And we need to carry that on on a national level. And I hear, I hear the Republicans saying, geez, if we pay people a living wage, how will the economy function? I'll tell you how it'll function. It'll function like the state of Washington because I'm proud to say we have the highest minimum wage in the United States and the best GDP growth in the United States. Progressive values work. I'm proud to say, I guess you could call this radical in Washington state. Uh, we believe that women should get paid the same as men for the work they do. And so we've passed a law to protect gender pay equity so the boss can't hide the fact that he's paying more to the men than the women. This hasn't retarded economic growth, it's brought a little bit of fairness into the workplace. We know that when we've stood up for choice, and I'll tell you this, I've been in public life for 27 years, you can count on me today, yesterday, every day, to move forward to pass a Reproductive Parity Act so not only women have a right of choice, they have a right of health care for their services exercising that constitutional right. We've done it in my state. We need to do it nationally. We know in our state, diversity is not a weakness, it is a strength. It's why our economy is so good. We bring in people from around the world. We're not afraid of diversity. And that's why I'm proud to tell you I was the first governor of the United States to stand up against Donald Trump's Muslim ban. And I believe it was the right thing. And now I've beat him 21 times in court. But the second reason we are gonna make him a blip in history is that we understand the uh, existential crisis of climate change. We understand the science. We fundamentally understand that this is our last chance to save this nation from this urgent and imminent cataclysm. We understand that there will not be another chance. And when I thought about running for this office, I thought about being governor for a while because I've been very successful as indicated, I love the job. But I made a decision and it was a personal decision. I wanna make sure that in my final days on earth, I can look at my three grandkids and look them in the eye and says, you know what? I did everything humanly possible to save you from climate change. His speech concluded with another minute or so of climate change discussion before the playoff music swelled and he had to yell over it to thank the audience several times before walking off stage. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. In continuing news of the Yarden, we are getting ready to remove an invasive tree that has begun to do two very annoying things. First, it is leaning into the neighbor's yard in a very alarming manner, kind of like sideways. And second, it's covering a big patch of the cutting garden with shade. And you know, we already have plenty of shade in Portland. So one of these days, I'm gonna have to figure out a way to record this show in this old farmhouse while there's a chainsaw and a chipper running in the background. I've got some ideas, I've got it covered. All right, as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.